Pittsburgh Steelers fans, and it's time once again for another episode of Here We Go, the Steelers pregame show. Week 18, what for maybe most of the season, everybody thought this would be the Steelers finale for 2022, but the calendar is now 2023. Fortunes have definitely turned, and the Steelers have a chance to make the playoffs. So this may not be the last Here We Go Steelers show of the season and i am getting really excited my name is brian anthony davis the podcast producer here behind the steel curtain.com with me is kt smith he is the coach he is a legend and he's going to tell us if the steelers could indeed make the playoffs and what they need to do to do so kt what is going on my man you know i i hope it's not the last uh, the last game because i'm really having fun watching this steelers team this is this has been one of the most pleasantly surprising turnarounds in a season for the Steelers that I can remember in a long time. I remember back in 2019 when Ben Roethlisberger got injured and it became the, the Duck Hodges and Mason Rudolph show and expectations were low. And, you know, we were, we were kind of present, pleasantly surprised at how that went for a while. But I think everybody knew that that was sort of a, a one-season uh, patch job until Roethlisberger got back. And this is totally different because this is the Steelers team of the future and, and the future's arriving quicker than anticipated. So I really hope that, that this is not the end, man. I'm really pulling for them to make the playoffs and, uh, and for the powers that be to align the stars, uh, how, however it needs to happen, because I'd love to see this team in the play in a playoff game. Does this feel very 1989 ish to you as well? You know, that's a great analogy because that was a really exciting and surprising season, too. And I still remember very, very clearly watching that playoff game against the Oilers in the Astrodome with a bunch of my friends. We were all home from college on break, and I was with a bunch of my high school buddies. And nobody gave the Steelers a chance in that game. It was Warren Moon, and it was the the run and shoot uh, later later <laughs> fabulously dubbed the Chuck and Duck by Buddy Ryan. And it was uh, them against a, a plucky but undermanned Steelers team. And But Pittsburgh just had that sort of attitude that uh, they they wouldn't die. And 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 so, yeah, I think there's some interesting, uh, interesting similarities there. There were some stars on that team, but there were a lot of unknown guys. There are some stars on this team, but there are a lot of unknown guys as well, you know, making their way, uh, performing so much better. If you had to put an arrow towards the better of the two teams, who would it be? Oh, it'd absolutely be this team because of how young this team is. That that 89 Steelers team was a team still largely in transition. They really hadn't identified their franchise quarterback uh they were they were still a little bit of a mixture of older Steeler players from the 80s with with younger ones if you think about like even Rod Woodson was still pretty young at that point um and this whereas this Steelers team is exceptionally young uh, the the oldest player on the offense is Mason Cole and he's 25 that's really incredible uh so you, they're the best players on offense are are Kenny Pickett and George Pickens and Najee Harris and Pat Fryermuth. And those are four guys who were first and second round draft picks in the last two drafts. 
So I think that the arrow for this Steelers team is is decidedly up. Uh, whereas for that that 89 team, it was a great one year run. But, you know, the Steelers went back in 1990 and 91 to being fairly mediocre. So this is exciting because the future is really bright. Is Kenny Pickett the franchise quarterback right now? Is he the real deal? He's sure so. He's sure so showing signs of it. I, I don't know if we can say definitively just yet, but the growth that he's shown, the difference between Kenny Pickett today and Kenny Pickett when he first started back in late September, early October, whenever that, that first start was, or, or whenever he came in at halftime for Mitch Trubisky, is significant. And we see his development in, in several areas. Obviously, the game-winning drives the last couple of weeks and, and the clutch gene that he has displayed is huge, absolutely huge. If you're asking me to evaluate a quarterback and, and you say, hey, prioritize all the things you want in that quarterback, and those can be physical traits like their arm strength or their mobility, or it can be mental strengths like their ability to read a defense, or it can be intangibles like their leadership quality. One of the first things, one of the things I'm putting right near the top of the list is their ability to play big in big moments. Because I think so many games come down to fourth quarters. If you look at the the parity in the NFL is incredible. You look at the number of one-score games in the NFL these days, it, it feels like uh, you know, 75, 80% of the games are, are coming down to one score. And your quarterback is going to have to be big in big moments late in football games. And Kenny Pickett has shown not just the last two weeks, but really over the over the last six or seven weeks that he plays his best when the game's on the line. And that's really exciting. He's obviously got a lot to learn. He's got a lot to learn uh, in terms of his pocket presence and his ability to diagnose defenses and and his sort of willingness to hang in there and and let receivers come open or at least anticipate them come open. A lot of things that he's got to work on. But one thing that we see is he is already after a half a season worth of starts, the unquestioned leader of the offense. And, and that is a huge step in the, in the direction towards becoming their franchise quarterback. Let me ask you this. We're going to go back to last week's game against the Baltimore Ravens. The first question I'm going to ask you is when did you know that the Steelers were going to come back in this game? Or did you not realize it until they actually did? Well, Steelers-Ravens always seems to come down to the last couple minutes. So I, I think even though, it, even though it felt frustrating, even though it felt like the Steelers were leaving meat on the bone and, and, and weren't capitalizing on all their opportunities, you always kind of felt like they were going to get a last shot. They were going to get the ball late with an opportunity to take the lead or win the game. And then it would really just sort of depend on what happened. But I was optimistic when the Steelers took over. First of all, when Baltimore punted, uh, punted the ball back to the Steelers with about four minutes or whatever was left. And that punt went into the end zone and the Steelers got the ball at the 20. That was a big deal for me. I, I, I really thought to myself, it, it's a, there's a big difference in your play calling and in, and in your strategy when the ball's on the 20 as opposed to when it's on the three or the four. And I saw that ball hit, that punt hit, I think, on around the three or four yard line and fortunately took a Steelers bounce and went into the end zone. And when that happened, uh, I thought, okay, they can run their offense now. They don't have to. They don't have to run a package 
teams have a teams have a coming out package. When you're when you have the ball inside the 10 yard line, you have a package of plays that you practice during the week with the goal to make one first down. If you when you when you're pinned inside your own 10 yard line, the goal is make one first down. And and then beyond after that, maybe you know, now you focus on getting a drive going, but you you want you really, really don't want to go three and out and have to punt from inside your own end zone and give the other team great field position. And so I thought to myself, I want the Steelers to have to be to be able to run their their complete offense and get into their two minute stuff and and let Pickett take over like he had done the previous week against the Raiders. And so I thought that the punt going into the end zone was a big deal. And when it did, I had a pretty good sense. You know, hey, I, I thought to myself, this could happen again. So Kevin, I'm going to ask you this now. When we're talking about this game, when Kenny Pickett was at the 20 and he took the ball over. I had a calm about me the entire time because I felt the same way that you did, especially because of the field position, but he came out confident. I saw a few of the passes even before that. You can see the confidence in his eyes. There is no stutter stepping. There is no fancy feet with Kenny Pickett. If there's fancy feet, it's fancy running. But one thing I noticed, and we talked about this in the very first Ravens-Steelers game in week 14, we talked about the fact that Kenny Pickett was instructed to start this rivalry with the Ravens by just looking for field goals. And he was probably going to have 100 yards rushing in that game the way he started out. Now... Kenny Pickett was not running at all. He was not taking off and running. He was sticking with it and throwing the ball. His confidence was there. And I think that's the mark of a franchise quarterback. So I'm going to ask you this. Did you feel like it was shades of old Big Ben in Big Ken? <clears throat> well, <clears throat> uh, the thing you always heard about with Ben Roethlisberger was he extends plays. And on that game-winning touchdown drive, that's exactly what Kenny Pickett did. It started with the the again. I won't I won't even call it a scramble because I think you described it accurately. It's, scrambling is when you're kind of like running around looking for uh, looking for a, a way to escape. But what Kenny Pickett was doing was he was he was moving the pocket uh, by being able to evade pressure and then find an open space in which he could keep his eyes down the field and locate a receiver. And, he does that early in the drive when he when he kind of spins out to his right and moves and moves uh, actually to his left, I should say. Uh, and he and he finds Pat Fryermuth out near midfield. And that was a great throw because when you when you look at the end zone view of that throw, Pickett's rolling to his left. Fryermuth is moving uh, in the same direction. And and Pickett actually throws the ball to Fryermuth's back shoulder, which is really hard to do. When he's moving in one direction and he locates the ball away from the receiver in the other direction. And the reason he does that is because if he leads Fryermuth or throws it out in front of him, he throws him right into coverage. So really what he does on that play is as he's moving outside the pocket, he throws the ball away from the coverage. Essentially, he throws Fryermuth open, which is a really nuanced thing and especially difficult to do on the run, moving away from your throwing hand. So that was really impressive. And then after throwing an absolute dime to Steven Sims on a, on a divide route where Sims splits the safeties in cover two and somehow Pickett throws the ball 
over top of six foot four safety Kyle Hamilton and absolutely just drops it into Sims. He then does something really similar to the Friermuth play uh, for the game winner with Najee Harris, in which, again, you know, this time, though, he had to react a lot quicker because Jason Pierre-Paul really gets off the ball and puts more immediate pressure on him. There's a really subtle thing Pickett does on that game-winning touchdown pass. He bails out to his left again, but this time he doesn't spin out. On the on the Friermuth play, he spun out, turned his back to the rusher uh, and did like a baseball turn and spun out. On the one with Pierre-Paul, he kind of ripped the ball across his chest and opened his hips. But as he does it, Pierre-Paul takes a swat at, at Pickett. He winds up catching him up near the shoulder pads. But Pickett really, really deftly switches the ball from his right hip to his left hip as he's scrambling, which prevents Pierre-Paul from swatting it away. And I, when I watched that, I thought to myself, man, He's aware of everything that's happening right now. He's not, not, not as he's only aware of the rush as it caves in on him and where he needs to go to escape, but he's aware of what Pierre Paul is going to try to do in this instance. He's going to try and knock the ball out and Pickett's able to shield the football by moving it from his right to his left hip. And then, you know, the cherry on top is as he moves to his left, he throws an absolute dime on his, on the run to Najee Harris. As, as he escapes uh, the coverage of Roquan Smith. So there's just some really, really uh, advanced level stuff that he's doing on that drive that really belies the fact that he's a, he's a young quarterback. I mean, it really speaks to his presence and his confidence, but also his understanding of the game. So it's super impressive. We've talked a lot about Franco Harris in the last couple of weeks. Uh, we should have, too. You know, it was, uh, we were going to do it before his untimely passing. But one thing that we talked about, how there were so many leaders on that team, and you knew it was Terry Bradshaw's team. You knew it was Joe Reed's, uh, Joe Green's team. You knew it was Franco Harris's team. We're starting to realize that this is Kenny Pickett's team, but would it be safe to say this is Najee Harris's team as well? Yeah. Yeah, you know, going... Going into that game, if I had said to you, hey, Brian, the Steelers are going to run the ball down the Ravens' throat in this game, what would you have said to me? What are you smoking, Kevin? <laughs> right. Yeah, for right. Exactly. Especially when you consider what, what had just happened a few weeks earlier when the, when the script was flipped and the Ravens did just that. At the end of that first game, everybody on the planet knew the Ravens were going to run the ball and the Steelers couldn't stop it. And so here we go. Now we're in a completely different situation in which the Steelers are just having their way with Baltimore up front. And Najee Harris was great, and there's no doubt about that. And I'm not taking anything away from him, but it was a remarkably uh, effective game for the offensive line. The number of times that they were able to just cover up Baltimore's defenders and not give up any run-throughs and let Harris just pick his holes was really impressive. I, 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 when I went back and I watched the film, one of the things that the Steelers did to compensate was they sacrificed some of their double teams. They, a lot of times, they, run, they ran nothing but inside zone. Well, I, I take that back. They ran nothing but the zone game, inside, mid zone, wide zone, all zone blocking. And, and in most zone schemes, you have double teams on the down linemen with one of the, one of the doublers now chipping off to a linebacker. But the Steelers just felt like Baltimore's backers were too good to give them that extra second of space. And so they 
they said, forget the doubles. Let's just get on guys. And they immediately started to climb and cover up Baltimore's linebackers. And they trusted that, that they're down guys, Mason Cole in particular. I, I give a big shout out to Mason Cole uh, because essentially they said, you got to handle, you got to handle the one tech man on man. You know, you, you're not going to get doubles. You're going to have to do the job yourself. And he sure did. And, and the Steelers were incredibly effective getting up and covering up Baltimore's linebackers and letting Najee Harris and Jalen Warren pick the holes. So, yeah, man, Najee Harris, I think he's kind of like the heart and soul of the offense right now. Um, but but he's getting some help by the guys up front. We know what you're going to say about the offensive line. What did you see that made you feel even more comfortable with these guys? Well, I liked <laughs> this is not something you hear you hear often, but I like the scheme. I, th- I think Matt Canada found in that game some stuff that he was comfortable calling that the Steelers were comfortable executing. And he, he had just enough wrinkles to make it difficult on Baltimore to defend. He really ran you know, just a couple simple concepts all game long. Inside zone, split zone, wide zone. And, you know, it, it's all similar blocking schemes with different aiming points. One, one play hits in the A gap. Another play hits a little bit wider. The split zone concept has linemen moving one way. And then an H back or a jet guy moving the other it just makes it a little bit of a tougher read on the linebackers. Uh, but he, he kept calling it over and over because the, the line was blocking it well. And I think that, I think the line was comfortable executing those schemes. And I think it really helped Najee Harris get a good feel for where the cuts were going to be. You know, you hear that a lot about running backs, like the more reps they get, the more comfortable they get, the more into a rhythm they get. And a lot of that has to do with, they just get a feel for where the holes are going to be, where, where, how things are going to break. Uh, and then Canada just had some nice little wrinkles in there. He he ran one play where it was all zone blocking up front, but it was counter action in the backfield. But rather than pull a guard, which would have given a key to the Ravens linebackers and probably gotten them moving, he took Pat Fryermuth from the backside and he wrapped him all the way around. And he became like the counter blocker. And Harris went for like 10 yards. He ran another play where it was it was straight jet sweep to Jalen Warren but they zone blocked everybody away from the jet sweep just to hold Baltimore's linebackers long enough. So I think the tweaks that Canada came up with were, were really, really effective and they, and they allowed him to protect his core schemes, which were working well. Not many people are giving me credence when I bring this up, but you are the one person that will Kevin, when you were watching that game, were you expecting to see Brian Riley and Steph, the Georgievich come out and play when it was six two stack monster, <laughs> yeah, man, the sticks. Uh, you know it, that was some old school defense, right? Some, some old school front uh, action by the Steelers, and you know, Ampipe it was high school Bulldogs, too. Baby. That's right, Ampipe Bulldogs. You know, I have an Ampipe jersey because I've told you time and time again. I was at the taping of the movie All the Right Moves with Tom Cruise. Oh, I know that's fan- that's such a fantastic story. Uh, such a great thing to be able to to say. Oh, it's a great memory. Stands for that. And a great movie, too. Oh, 100%. But let's talk about the 6-2, and let's talk about the defense real quick. Sure. Well, uh, I, you know, I thought, I, just like on the offensive side of the ball, I thought it started with the guys up front. Uh, I thought Cam Hayward was great, absolutely great. I think, I think Cam Hayward was a little embarrassed by the way that things had gone in that first meeting. Uh, I, I remember writing in my game review the, uh, after that, that first meeting that it's like one of the first times 
that I've ever seen Cam Hayward like really just get pushed around. And it actually made me sad. Um, and, and so he was a totally different dude in, in this, in this contest, he was relocating the line of scrimmage in the backfield. And then the Steelers got a solid performance from, from their linebackers. Robert Spillane was great. Robert Spillane, you know, gets beat up a little bit because of his coverage uh, abilities or lack thereof, but he played downhill and my goodness, man, uh, shout out to Mark Robinson because, uh, he sure showed up in, in a lot of, on a lot of plays and he showed some great instincts and an ability to get to the football. Um, you know, he's raw and he's got a long way to go at, at, at linebacker. He's, I think I used the analogy on the, on our Slack channel that he's a little bit like a dog chasing a bone. And if you fake, like you're throwing the bone, he's still going to chase it. So he, he can be caught out of position a little bit, but when he goes, he goes, the Steelers don't have a guy on the roster who can fill like he does. And DeMarvin Leal played well too up front. So it, it it's an, isn't it? It's really shaping up to be a phenomenal rookie class. From, yes, from this group. You know, we've already talked. Everybody knows about Pickett and Pickens and Jalen Warren, the unsigned free agent, has been great. But on the uh, on the defensive side of the ball, what we've seen from Leal and Robinson really gives you uh, a sense of optimism about them. You you really do. You really got to be excited. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that. We talk all the time about how, you know, Cam Hayward is the leader of that defense. And then you've got, he's kind of Batman. And then you've got, you've got TJ Watt that's Superman. But who is Minka Fitzpatrick? Because that's his defense too. Right. I don't know. Who is Minka Fitzpatrick? That's a good, I'm not as well versed in the Marvel uh, universe <laughs> as like uh, to come up with a great analogy on that one, but it, it sure does seem as though every week he makes an impactful play uh, or, or a, a play that changes the momentum of the game. Uh, you know, he seals the win a couple weeks ago against Atlanta with an interception. He seals the win against Baltimore with an interception uh, against, uh, against Carolina a couple weeks ago he's playing at the line of scrimmage for a decent amount of the game. And he winds up with like 11 tackles. So he, he can be, he can be whoever the Steelers need him to be. That that's an incredible thing to have. Uh, he's stylistically is very different from Troy Palomalu, but, but the Steelers do use him in a variety of roles that reminds you a little bit of what they did with uh, number 43. I actually think that, when they name, and they might do that by the time this airs, this is being recorded on Thursday night. And if they already did it, my apologies, but we're expecting to hear the Steelers MVP real soon. I expect it to be Minka Fitzpatrick. Yeah, I don't know who else it could be, to be quite honest with you. Uh, it, it's got to be somebody on the defensive side of the ball because the defense has carried this team in the in their resurgence. This is the Baltimore game made six weeks in a row where the Steelers had held their opponents under 17 points. And the offense has something to do with that. The offense is sustaining drives longer and the defense is out there less. And that has helped, but this has certainly been a year where when you look at the two sides of the ball, you, you clearly understand the defense has been the better of the two units. And he's been the best player on the defense. No doubt about it. You know, Cam Hayward's had some, some great weeks, but he's had some down weeks and uh, TJ Watt, you know, missed a bunch of games with injury. So I yeah I don't I don't see who else how, who else it could be right it's got to be Minka I really think so let's take a quick break we'll be right back we will preview 
the Steelers and the Browns week 18. We're going to talk about the chances for the playoffs, what our guts are telling us, and we are going to talk about what Kevin thinks is going to happen, and that is going to be huge. So Steelers, Browns, playoffs, everything right after this on Here We Go, the Steelers pregame show. Welcome back to Here We Go, the Steelers pregame show. I am Brian Anthony Davis. His name is Kevin Thatcher Smith. He is the coach. Make sure you check us out every Friday. And if you've missed a few episodes, even in the offseason, go back and check them out. Anywhere you download your favorite podcast, but make sure you check out another thrilling episode of Let's Ride with Jeff Hartman. The Friday episode always has his buddy, Jerome Jeremy Betts. Actually, Jeremy Jerome Betts, because his name's not Jerome, just Jeff thinks so. And also, if you didn't get a chance to check out the preview last night with myself, Jeff Hartman, and Dave Schofield, another great stat geek and a great episode of What Yin's Talking About. New Year, New Yins with Kyle Kreiss and Greg Benevit. There's so many shows to check out. Make sure you do so and check out what's going on now because it's the Steelers. It's the Browns. It's the rivalry. Deshaun Watson enters and it's not going to be easy, Kevin, but what do the Steelers need to do on both sides of the ball to win this game? Let's start with offense. Well, they've got a formula that has been pretty effective for them over the last few weeks on offense. And that formula has been uh, to don't not turn it over. Don't turn the football over. Run it well. And if the game is close, then turn it over to Kenny Pickett and let him let him make some plays in the fourth quarter that that will uh, you know eventually be decisive. And I think it's, it's going to be that kind of game. I, I can't imagine the Steelers blowing Cleveland out. I can't imagine it being a game where you look at the final score and it's like 34 to 13 Pittsburgh, something along those lines. They're just not that good. They're not, they're not, that's not how they're built and that's not how they play. I mean, they, they've, they, Mike Tomlin's made it a point to, to say that he's trying to play conservatively, let the defense keep him in the game and have the offense not lose it for him and then make enough plays in the end to win. So I think that that's the strategy that they need to adhere to and, the guy, you know, on offense, I, I just I, I think Pat Fryermuth's growth has been really exciting to watch this year, and he just feels like a guy who Kenny Pickett is just really growing uh, a deep amount of trust in. So, if this is a close football game, which we anticipate, and if the Steelers need plays late in the game, he's the guy I'm looking for. So I think that's the formula, right? Run the ball well, protect the football. Uh, you know, find ways to get the ball to Pat Fryermuth when when the game is uh, on the line. What does Deshaun Watson bring to this rivalry, and how do they stop him? Because he is not Jacoby Brissett. You know, it's funny in a way. In a way, Jacoby Brissett actually worries me more than Deshaun Watson, and that's because the Steelers have done a really good job taking away mobile quarterbacks. They they really haven't been hurt uh, by quarterbacks who who run and escape the pocket. They they seem to do a nice job scheming for that, whether it be uh, with their 
pass rush lanes and finding out ways to contain, keep those guys in the pocket or, or, you know, having some kind of a scrape and chase scheme where you're getting linebackers coming, coming over top of the edge to run the, run those guys down. And, and Watson's completion percentage is bad. It's 56% right now. Uh, That's terrible. And in the, in the modern NFL. So he's not particularly accurate or sharp at, at this point. And if the Steelers can do what they've done to a lot of different quarterbacks uh, by keeping them in the pocket, that to me is a little bit more comforting than a guy like Brissett, who who's really good at finding the voids in zones and who's really accurate. I mean, Brissett was pretty good in that first meeting between the Steelers and Browns. So I'm not, I'm not, I don't know if I would prefer to play uh, Brissett. I mean, I'm sorry, prefer Watson over Brissett, but uh, I don't, Watson's not the one who scares me. You know, like it's it's Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt in the run game. That's what really scares me. That offensive line is so good. Uh, Jedrick Wills and Batonio and Wyatt Teller and Jack Conklin. I mean, those guys are great up front. Uh, and and Chubb, I, you know, when I, I just have flashbacks to that playoff game a couple years ago when Cleveland got out in the first quarter, like 28 nothing, and Chubb was just running like a man. Uh, so they got to stop that. I think you got make make Deshaun Watson beat you throwing the ball. He has not looked great since he's come back. And so make his life hard uh, by, by asking him to do things that he hasn't yet done this year. What everybody wants to know before we get on to the Steelers score, how's it going to shape up at four Let's talk about the jets in Miami. Looks like it might be Joe Flacco. <laughs> it looks like it's going to be Skylar Thompson. What's your gut saying? Uh, <laughs> The the irony of the Steelers needing Joe Flacco perhaps to to get them into the playoffs is fantastic. <laughs> uh, I Skyler I don't know anything about Skyler Thompson. I, I get I I saw like I don't know two three minutes of of him when he was in last week. He's an unknown in that sense. I'm glad I'm glad he played a little bit last week so that the Jets can kind of get an idea about what he does. Having him be a total unknown and come in cold for one week that's sometimes hard. So, and yeah, Joe Flacco, if I'm Joe Flacco, it's a great opportunity. How many more opportunities is Joe Flacco going to get to start an NFL football game? Uh, so he's got a great opportunity to, to, you know, kind of relive the glory days. And, and I hope he does. I sure hope he does. I just, be, I just feel like this is an unknown game because it's backups and, and neither team, you know, the Jets don't have, a, have anything to play for. So other than to be a spoiler. And so that's a, this is a tough one to call, but, but I, I would, I, I'd rather have a veteran in, in a in a game that's that's big than uh, you know a guy like Mike White who who had a had a moment there with the Jets, but then has seemed to be he was he was rusty last week coming back and now he's dinged up and I like I like our the Steelers' chances with Flacco more than I do with White. Very good. Now let's talk about the Patriots and the Bills, and we know all about the emotion. Everything. That has happened this week. Our prayers still go out to Demar Hamlin. It seems like there has been improvement each day, and uh, I know this is going to be an emotional game for the Bills. But you would think that they're going to be really fired up for this, especially with the fact that with that game being a no contest, they definitely need. They're playing for something, right? So Demar Hamlin is conscious, which is wonderful news, and one of the first things. Evidently, that when he spoke was he asked if if the Bills won the game, which is 
He did speech. write that. That was written. Oh, he wrote that. Okay. Yes. Um, can you imagine what it, it will be like in a couple of days? If let's, you know, again, I don't know what his situation is going to be like, but imagine him delivering an inspirational message to the Buffalo Bills. Uh, like that, the Steelers had done with Ryan Chazier. Correct. Yeah. The, the emotion from that will be absolutely intense. The environment in Buffalo will be charged. Sometimes that can work against you. You, you don't want to play football too emotionally. Uh, your great John Wooden coach, uh, J- a great John Wooden quote that I like to reference is uh, emotion is the enemy of reason. Uh, you can, your emotion, if it gets the better of you, can lead you to be unreasonable. And so, that would be something that Buffalo would have to protect against for sure. But, but with them having something to play for and uh, at the, in their home stadium coming off of the drama uh, and the tragedy of the last week or so, you would, you would expect you're going to get the best out of the Buffalo Bills. So do you think when it's all said and done, it all comes down to the Pittsburgh Steelers controlling their own destiny after these two teams do what they need to do and knock off the Steelers' foes this week? So do you think it comes down to the Steelers taking care of their own business? I, I, it just kind of feels like it, doesn't it? I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it, doesn't, it feels like it's moving in that direction. Absolutely. I think we talked a couple of weeks ago when the Steelers had like a 2% chance or whatever it was. Uh, before last week's game and and we 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 kind of hashed out all the things that had to happen and i remember us saying well you know you look at you look at this and that's not unreasonable for this result to happen and the jets got to go out to seattle and it's not unreasonable for seattle to win and and i think i think i remember us saying at the end of it um it, it wouldn't it it would be surprising if it happened because of all the dominoes that had to fall but it wouldn't be shocking you know it's certainly it's certainly feasible and it's it's more feasible now. I mean, if I had to if I had to say, all right, who's the favorite in the New England Buffalo game? It's clearly Buffalo. Who's the favorite in the Pittsburgh Cleveland game? Well, it's going to be a tough game, but I think the Steelers are the favorite. Who's the favorite in the Miami Jets game? I don't know. That's the wild card to me. If if one if 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 the Steelers don't get one result of the three that they need, it's probably going to be what happens in Miami. It's nice to know that the Jets have a nasty defense and they're really tough to uh, run and throw against. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and and against a, a young and experienced quarterback, you you like uh, uh, you know a defensive minded head coach like like Robert uh, Sala. You you actually do, and he is one of those coaches we talked about back in Week Four that we would love to see that kind of uh, guy. If Mike Tomlin wasn't the coach here, and of course, Mike Tomlin's the coach here, but that's the kind of guy that if you're hiring for a franchise, you look at that guy. You know, real quick, since you brought up Mike Tomlin, what what an amazing coaching job this man has done with the Steelers this year. Yeah, you cannot deny it. Uh, it, the, The way in which he's kept this team together and from what you read, just, you know, piecing articles together uh, around the web and listening to what the Steelers are saying. So much of it has to do with the, the manner in which he continues to challenge his players. And he, and he, and he keeps finding the, whatever little edge he needs to get the most out of each and every one of them. He, he clearly doesn't have a one-size-fits-all approach to his team. He, he clearly understands how sort of psychologically to deal with this person versus that person, the young guys versus the veterans. 
uh, he was talking about a lot of it is knowing who you, who you need to step on the accelerator with and who you need to pump the brakes on and who you need to challenge emotionally versus who you need to challenge physically. Uh, Mason Cole talked about the culture in Pittsburgh. Mason Cole's on his third NFL team. And he said, it's just so different in Pittsburgh, uh, the locker room, the, the meeting rooms, the, the, the vibe off the field is just so different than anywhere else that he's been and that he, he completely understands how the Steelers have kind of risen from the dead when they were two and six, because Mike Tomlin uh, challenges them every day to be the best that they can be. Uh, so it just, I, these are the things I think people don't see for all, for every person who's whined about Mike Tomlin's clock management. Uh, you know, th- I think that there's, there's just this, underappreciation for the intangibles of what a head coach does more than anything else. A head coach is responsible for the culture and attitude of the football team. And he's done a fabulous job with that this year. So if the Steelers wind up at nine and eight and make the playoffs, and and maybe this is me being a Homer, but I'm not saying he's going to get the coach of the year, but you'd have to like throw his hat into that ring. Wouldn't you? You definitely would. And national media is starting to do that. Yeah, that's that's cool. I still think he's he's uh, you know undervalued. I mean, my gosh, this is year fifteen, year sixteen. I can't remember which one it is, but uh, and we're still talking about his his you know never having a losing season. And I know for younger fans who who want the Steelers to win another Super Bowl, that that's like you know big deal. Okay, so Mike Tomlin, captain mediocrity. They're 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 nine and eight, um, but it is a big deal, man. It, it's a reason why you can go through lean years without bottoming it out you know that's a that's a big deal when you don't bottom out uh and you and you keep the the winning tradition alive and you keep the level of expectation the standard is the standard might be a great slogan but it also means something and and by not having losing seasons tomlin has exemplified that there's an there's a standard that's that's expected and the steelers continue to strive to reach it so if anything I, I was going to say, I have so much respect for him. If anything, Mike Tomlin teaches his team perseverance because he has it. He does not give up. And that's what you're seeing. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so let's, let's go, man. Let's make the darn playoffs. Let's do it. And you feel like it's going to happen? I, I'm cautiously optimistic. Mike Again, my, saying I, yes. I, yeah. My, my biggest worries is, is my, you know, what happens in Miami. But I am cautiously optimistic that it, that it will happen. But you feel they take care of their own business? I think they'll win. I do. I think it'll be another close game. I think it'll probably be another low-scoring, hard-hitting affair somewhere, you know, like 21-16, 20-17, something in that neighborhood. Uh, but it just, it just feels like this team is playing with a lot of confidence right now, and they're executing better than they have. And you put those two things together, and good things happen. Well, we are running out of time, so let's do the dude of the week. It is the entire Buffalo Bills organization. It's the entire Cincinnati Bengals organization. And it is the NFL for the way it was handled. There's a lot of talk about the five-minute role. And no, I mean, that's just, you know, it takes time to make a decision. Right. And I I feel that they were doing the right thing. I also want to say due to the week to the first responders that came out and saved that man's life. Yep. Now I'm going to throw in the fact that uh, the uh, the fight in Demar Hamlin also gets him 
due to the week as he is a part of the Buffalo Bills organization. That is going to be a very strong family going forward, but I tip my hat to both teams, both coaches, Zach Taylor, Sean McDermott. I tip the hat to the people that had to make the quick decisions. That means the league. That means the first responders. That means everybody. It has been one of those, uh, the most helpless that I have felt since Ryan Shazier, but you felt like this was even more grave. Yeah. So and, uh, you know, hats throw, off I'll throw, to I'll throw T Higgins in there. Who? Yes. The, the player who, who, who's uh, hit on Hamlin caused the injury. And I read today that he, T Higgins, T Higgins has not left the hospital uh, in Cincinnati uh, where DeMar Hamlin is since, since the incident occurred, that he has been at that hospital the entire time. Well, that uh, shows the mark of a man too. Yeah, it sure does. I mean, Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, Cincinnati is an ugly rivalry. Uh, there are things that, that Bengals fans have done from a Steelers perspective throughout the course of that rivalry that have caused Steelers fans to lose respect for them and to look upon them in a way that said that, that says that, you know, they're not the classiest fan base, but, what they did and how they reacted to that whole situation is something that that whole city should be very, very proud of. Absolutely. So it's time for us to get on out of here. We are going to forego the Steelers due to the week. I'm also going to say that I'm proud of that entire organization, the way that they handled themselves against the Baltimore Ravens. So we're just going to give that to them as well. So lots of dudes of the week, but Sometimes it's more than football. It's about life. It's about family. And you as a coach, you understand that. Yeah, I've seen some pretty crazy things on the football field. And the uh, I guess I've been playing and coaching for about 40 years. And I've seen some really uh, scary situations out there. But, boy, nothing even remotely like what transpired in that game. And so – uh, we hope that, it, you know, the, that the news that we're, that we're getting now, which is encouraging, we continue to get more of that. And, uh, you know, God bless them all. And, and uh, I just, uh, I just really am, am thankful that Tamar Hamlin's going to pull through this. Absolutely. So it's time for us to get on out of here. Really excited for this game next week. We hope that we're talking about a meaningful Steeler game as well. That's on our new year's wish list. For Kevin Smith, my name is Brian Anthony Davis. Stay tuned for everything Steelers here from BehindTheSteelCurtain.com. And keep your feet on the ground, Kevin. And keep reaching for those hypocycloids. Mm-hmm.